Watch who? Bonjour. <laughs> what? What? I wasn't expecting that. Bonjour. <laughs> uh, je m'appelle Mark et je suis fan de Doctor Who. What? Well, you got, have you just Googled this? Yes. <laughs> I was like, where is this coming from? I can do Je m'appelle Sarah. Uh, oh, my French is terrible. Je m'appelle Sarah. Uh, not fan. <laughs> Very first time! <laughs> oh, oh no, I was going to say, regarde pour la tout première fois. <laughs> oh anyway, okay. <laughs> ben for you, fois nos régions à Paris, cette semaine on parle de Ville de Moor. Sarah, comment vas-tu? Comment vas-tu? Uh, what? <laughs> what do I think? So, well, I said, welcome everyone, we're in Paris this week. The City of Death, you join us. We're on a in a cafe in Paris. Yeah, just having a having a coffee. Or what would you have? You wouldn't have a coffee. What would you have? Um, chocolat. Well, yeah. I mean, we are in France this time for our first overseas filming. Um, but actually, okay. Let's just do. Let's what what? <laughs> Professor, like all the time we've been on a spaceship, anywhere in space has a classes overseas. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, now we're in France. We're overseas. <laughs> anyway, but before we get to that, um, what's been going on? What have we got to talk about? What updates do we have? I don't know if we have any, actually. Not about this. <laughs> Not about podcasts. In life, we do, I think. But like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of other... No, actually, we haven't really got much. Well, we were doing our, our baking key to time challenge. Yeah. So um, we've just been doing that. I have made the key to time out of cake, which is great. I shared well. mine with my mortgage advisor, so um, he knows yeah. what that looks like. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to Daniel if you're listening. Maybe you can do that in the video, the, <laughs> that story in the video. We can't do that on the main podcast, can we? <laughs> Spread, spreading the word about the podcast, that's great. I almost, so I don't know what you think about this one, but I almost gave you a bit of a hint because I've written down we need to bring back sexual chemistry watch a minute because okay. I haven't told you this right Lala Ward who plays Romana yeah in this in so we're in 1979 in about a year's time in back then um, Tom Baker and her get married in real life oh okay and I was going to say this is where we need to start sexual chemistry watch for <laughs> for the, the, the dating years then. So this is so this is where they're first getting sort of together and then they get married. So I thought maybe I should tell you that before, but then I don't know if you would have picked up on that or maybe we can look out for that. I definitely would have. I was I was wondering, but this again is a bit of a funny one because they're quite separated. There's like there are bits where they're together, but they're obviously in Paris. Generally, they're quite separate throughout the story so this was a bit of another one again where i was trying to work out does the doctor like having a companion still i feel a little bit more like he has adapted to having a companion and he has accepted that it's part of his story well it's not like leela where he was sort of fighting it for a bit i felt like last season with ramona ramona ramana (laughs) who's ramona that sounds like a pizza. Romana. I feel like last season with Romana, that felt very comfortable. 
And that felt very settled. So I feel like now we're in the flow and it's a new companion, but it feels like he is, yeah, used to that and he's fine with that and he's accepted that that helps the story and his character arc. And I feel like also the writers don't have them be side by side in the same sense. So that also helps in terms of his character. Like there's some independence within them. Chemistry Watch, now that you've mentioned it, maybe I have picked, maybe there is some nice sort of, like there's a nice rapport between them. I just thought it was because they were in Paris and it was a bit different. <laughs> well, they were on holiday. This is where it starts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's shot in Paris. It's definitely Paris. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you can tell it's Paris. Like, you can tell from the scenery and stuff. So, like, I just presumed that, like, the fact that it was just a little bit more fun, everyone was a little bit more relaxed. It's a, probably just a bit of fun for everyone, isn't it? So, I just put it down to that, basically. Marvelous. Absolutely. Absolutely marvellous. Well, I think it's marvellous. So do I. This is quite a well-known one. Like, lots of fans, this is like the best Tom Baker story. Lots of fans are like, this is the one that you need to watch. This oh, really? It's such a high reputation. And it also has the fact that it's got the highest viewing figures ever um, for an individual episode. I think it hasn't even beaten the new series. So it was 16.1 million for uh, one of the episodes. But the only wow. reason that it's got 16.1 million is because there was a strike on and ITV wasn't trans being transmitted. So there was literally no other channels to watch. But that's why it's up there. So whenever they do like the highest ratings, it's got all the new series and stuff. And then like City of Death is in there just because... ITV got switched off. So, <laughs> so also, I was trying to work out. So, John Cleese is in this as well, yeah. right at the end. Yes. Now, was this before or around the time of Monty Python? He'll have been in Faulty Towers. It felt very Faulty Towers, that character. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, that's what he was known for at the time. Oh, I said so. Monty Python, but like, I'm thinking it of more, yeah. And since it has no call to be here, the art lies in the fact that it is here. That was a really nice surprise cameo, and I loved it. I thought, and I probably made me smile. I was like, ah, funny. <laughs> and this doesn't—it doesn't say it's written by Douglas Adams, but the guy that wrote it is just like a fake name. It was like the producer and Douglas Adams sort of put in their ideas together. So. It's got a high it's got a high reputation for all these things. I'm really jumping around with ideas here, Soz guys. But one thing I really noticed in this is because also I started watching the other day Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, the TV one. No, the film. The film. Oh, the oh, we didn't like the film, did we? No, I liked the film. You didn't. Remember, we were the other way around, and then. You liked the TV and I didn't. Like, it just came up on Prime as a... I finished something else and then this came up as a suggestion and, and then it played. And then suddenly I realised I was watching it. I, I just had it on in the background. And what was really interesting after seeing that and then coming back to this is that sort of Douglas Adams stamp of his character and also how much more money there was in terms of setting things 
because actually I think in terms of like the, the, the I'm really jumping around here, but like the very last scene when they're like back at the start of Earth 400 million years ago, that whole scene, that whole look is beautiful. On screen, I thought it looked great. Well, it's a very simple set, but it's very effective. Oh, yeah, but it's really effective. It's super effective, super simple. But, like, even from, the, you know, they're quite far away when they run back to the TARDIS and then you see the explosion of the implosion, isn't it? It doesn't explode, it implodes. All of that was super effective and there was so much of it. I looked at it and I was like, I can see all the stylistic elements of Douglas Adams here. Having just watched the 2000s version of Hitchhiker's Guide, it was so similar in terms of stylistic and yet they're so far apart in terms of years. I thought you might like this because of the different locate. Like, we like a different location, don't we? We like there's a Paris, and then the back in time, and then yeah, I love a bit of that. everything in this, isn't there? Future and and I enjoyed the ironically, which is something I don't always enjoy, but I did enjoy. We got to the third episode, and it still wasn't a hundred percent clear. We were given tidbits of big chunks of key info uh, throughout, so like. The end of the first episode, we realize he takes off his mask. Yeah, that's a great. But that moment. doesn't become relevant until like the fourth episode, you know. But you get that really early on, so you're like, "What does that mean?" But nothing throughout, nothing. They're all just bits of info that then build up. And normally, having no information for that long really annoys me. But I think because you got these chunks of info that meant nothing for a long time. Until it all cl- like was revealed as one thing, you know. Like I had one bit. I'm really jumping around. Sorry, I had one bit that did frustrate me. Or I didn't understand. Actually, two, but they're sort of tied together. So one was so I, th- I think it was episode two or three. Three. It was three. Or oh, end of two into three. So when the doctor goes into his TARDIS and then goes back. And I was like, when? where did that appear from? Like, at what point did he go back to his... Where was the TARDIS in all this? How was it just there? Or I couldn't work out whether it was something that had, like, in order to trick... I could. That was something I struggled with. I was like... Well, no, because... Yeah, well, no, he's just the TARDIS. He just goes to the TARDIS. Cause, so him and Roman obviously land... Where that tar- where the TARDIS is in that gallery or wherever, and, but we first see. But them. they're nowhere near the gallery. They're in the basement just before it, and then because they're literally in the basement, and then he just steps out and he goes into the TARDIS. The next scene is him like out, and it's just him, and then he goes and walks into the TARDIS. They've just no, like they've no, just found the five yeah, Mona Lisas. No, yeah, and then they they escape because yeah. They escape, and then he says, Duggan and Romana, you go off and stop the Mona Lisa from being stolen, and I'm going to head off somewhere else. And you see him, he breaks in at night time to wherever the TARDIS is, oh, and then he see, goes I, into in the my, TARDIS. I think because it happened so quick, I just I thought that it was like, and now I'm here. I no, like, no, he do, you do see him go to the TARDIS, because he says, hello, K9, as you obviously don't see Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only sort of K9 yeah, appearance. No more K9 again at the moment. No. <laughs> we couldn't have K9 going around Paris, could you, really? No, less, <laughs> no. So that was one thing that, I, that but you've explained that. The other one was I thought we had a randomizer on the TARDIS, and it appears that the Doctor can decide to go straight back to to Da Vinci and see him. Well, I think he can deactivate the randomizer whenever he wants. 
See, that wasn't clear to me. I thought they had the randomizer on to stop to stop them being. Well, yeah, I think the randomizer slowly gets forgotten very soon. It very soon. We're only on like the second story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, We're literally I... on the second story. So that was my other thing. I was like, "What? How is he like being so specific?" Like, because I actually thought that. And then when we saw the other guy, I was like, is this a mirage? Is this something he's created? Like, because we see early on how he, like, created the them being in the... Um, oh, in the gallery. That's great, that gallery. effect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, is this something that he's created? And that's how he's going to trick him? I was really confused. And then and that was like, that would explain why we're like, here with Da Vinci and he's trying to trick the Doctor. And I was like, no, it actually... But the TARDIS is there and he wouldn't know about the TARDIS. And I was so confused for a little bit. Well, I was wondering... Oh, no, it wouldn't have worked, would it? Because obviously we see he's Spaghetti Man at the end of part one, don't we? Because I thought otherwise you could think maybe he's the monk or the master or something. Or, yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah. At least, and they kind of had to do that, didn't they, to show that what he is. So the actor, So the actor that plays the Count... We have seen before. He was. Do you know the one where Vicky dressed up as the boy? He's the king in that. Oh, I mean, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? You know, and the king and the sister, and they had that massive argument, and Vicky. Oh had yeah, to be the little yeah, yeah, boy. yeah. He's the king. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's him. And the scientist. Right. Love this the scientist. Right. It's Charlie the barman. No way! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> MG, I love that. Putting on a terrible accent again, I suppose. But <laughs> oh, Charlie the Barman. Oh, yes, so, yeah, yes, it is. That is him. So the catch was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> Why? It was just Charlie the Barman, Mabel. It's Charlie the Barman. Just explaining. Yeah, so I mean, it's it was a very dodgy accent, but. Um, at least we see him again. I enjoyed the accent. So we'll call him Charlie for I enjoyed the sort of dodginess of it, actually. That opening is really great with the model of the shot. So we see this... Oh, God, I need to get these names right. What's his name? Scaroth. Scagroth. Hold on. I bet Scaramouche, right. Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? So we see at the beginning that spaceship and then Scaroth. And it's like, okay, what's going on? And then suddenly we're in... Paris with the Eiffel Tower. It looks amazing. 1970s <laughs> France. And you've got Dr. Romana basically just showing off. Oh, there's a lot of them walking up and down the street and stuff, which is a bit of padding, but they want to show off they're on location. You know when they're on the tube? Yeah. And I love when they get off the tube, there's this woman on the tube that's obviously just looking at the camera being like, what's going on? They've obviously just like stealthily just got a cameraman and Dr. Romana, let's just walk around Paris without permission yeah, exactly, sort of yeah. thing. But it's great to see it all. And them in that sort of contemporary setting is a bit different. It just it just feels quite fresh, doesn't it? It's quite it nice. does. It feels really different and like like you say, fresh. Fresh is the perfect word. Bad What's joke. your have you been to France? Yeah. Yeah, it's and I do like it as a city to go to. It's nice to be able to go and explore. Have it's you a nice been on city the to Tower? explore. Yeah, yeah. And I've done Disneyland in Paris. Oh, I like cool. Disneyland Paris because it's it's like you can do it in a day and that's quite nice. Like I like that you can go. You could you could do like two days there and three days, but like you can do it in a day. 
Uh, yeah, because I went, do you not remember? I went to Angelina's and had that amazing hot chocolate and I talk, came back with some. I've not told, I told no, you this. No, I don't remember that. Yeah. I went, so I went for, like, I took my ex for his 30th. Oh, of course. Yes. So we did like, we did the Louvre. We did, I saw Mona Lisa, did all the museums, I did all that. And my only request was I wanted to go to this place called Angelina's because I read that it was like the best hot chocolate. And it really was like it was basically like just pouring melted chocolate. It was oh, amazing. amazing, but it was like in this old like if you think of Paris, like think of when you think of Paris and you think of like an old Parisian. It was like this beautiful marbly, and it, it was a cakes and everything, like all beautiful. And it wasn't far from the Opera House. It was like only a few streets away. And then you sat there, and then it came in like this silver jug. And then you poured it into your cup and you got like two, two out of it. I can't, I don't think it was like, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't really expensive. It was mainly just tourists. You couldn't, I think you could book like afternoon tea or something. It was really expensive. But if you were just going in for something like that, I think it was about like 12, 15 euros, but oh my gosh, it was so good. And then you could buy some to take home. So they had a shop and you took, brought it home and then you mixed it with milk at home and you could take some home. So I did that. I saved it for a bad day. I think I saved it from the middle of the panto run, actually. Right. When I was like, <laughs> <laughs> whisking, whisking my Angelinas up. Well, the cafe the Dr. Romana go to isn't as amazing as that. They don't have the hot chocolate. They just have like a glass of water. And that's the other thing as well. I ate most days, I had steak and chips because it was like the cheapest thing to eat. <laughs> Like it was so cheap. Like food was so cheap. I mean, this. I mean, food was cheaper back then. But like, we ate. We didn't eat like in. We were sort of. We weren't too far out of the centre of Paris. Come on, we got like this hotel, and there was like little restaurants around. And I, I literally lived on steak and chips for like three days because it was so cheap. That's the other thing I remember having amazing steak and chips. There you go. Recommendations <laughs> if everyone's, anyone's going to Paris. You can visit the location of City of Death and have steak and chips. That's perfect. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've, I've not been, but if you're talking about France, there was a French exchange at secondary school. Well, my friend Chloe, she did the French exchange. So there was this French girl called Audrey that came to stay with her. Okay, and what they do, they sort of match you up sort of things you like sort of hobbies and stuff that you like um and there was another girl called jackie who was very she was very studious quite quiet likes reading books uh she's she was really nice but she didn't really have that many friends at school uh <laughs> so she's she's doing very well now she's a priest in london she's like doing great anyway and she got given got given had a had a french girl on her french exchange but they and they were friends. The two French girls were friends, but the one that um, the studious girl got was like a proper like clubbing, like wanting to go out, like complete opposite to what she was given. Um, anyway, I remember going. We we're out in in Chelmsford in the town centre, and um, and Chloe was like, "My French girls run away." Basically, the two French girls had like ditched there, <laughs> ditched, oh <my> <laughs> like, and gone into town. And I remember this whole afternoon, we're like, we we're trying to find these French girls that had run off, <laughs> like, we're, like, because we worked out that they got in touch with each other 
somehow. And this other one, that this sort of clubbing one was like, I don't want to stay with this girl who's like wants to stay in and read and stuff all the time. So <laughs> they made this plan to go out into town. And I just remember just trying to find... I don't know if you found her in the end or not, but I just remember the whole afternoon. I was sort of at base at the Chelmsford Library when... The you were at base. And then sort of <laughs> we stood in... We were in like one place and there was a few of us like, right, go out and search this area. Go out and search this area. <laughs> Keep trying to like get in touch. <laughs> So um, I think we did find Audrey in the end. We must have done. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what the point of that story was, but it just reminds me. Whenever you say for it, I just think of this French girl running away, being like, oh, "I don't want to stay with these people." <laughs> That's so funny. Because we did. I know. I mean, we, I didn't do it, but like we did French exchange at our school. They did. Stuff. Well, they did one year. They did a Russian exchange at our school. I don't think they do that now. No, they won't do it right, right now anyway. No, because no, they did Russian. Um, one person, I think only one person in school did the Russian exchange. We used to have a lot of um, Chernobyl kids at school. Chernobyl? Chernobyl, really? Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, so we used to do, like, our town was re- had like a charity set up, and we used to take in like 60 to 100 kids from Chernobyl every year. They came over for clean air. They lived in Chernobyl or like, and they had to scatter or like they lived around the surrounding areas. And because obviously the air was so bad, they would come over to us for like a term. And my town growing up, Cliverow, had, it was, it has, I don't know if it still does, but when I was growing up, definitely had a big charity. And a woman at my church, she was a teacher at the grammar school, but she also spoke Russian. And she would go over there. And, like, help. So, like, she'd go over there, like, as part of his charity work. And then they bring over, literally, and, like, these kids would live with people, like, all over the town, like, for, like, months, for, like, three, four months. So they could have clean air, basically. And then they go back again. So is the Mona Lisa? Tiny. That, I was going to say, because the ones in this, where he's got the seven of them, they're no, not that big, are they? tiny. They're no, not. But the, it's tiny. But the one on the wall in this, that's still big as well, isn't it? And, I mean, you wouldn't get near it. That, I mean, I bet it's like... There's like, it's on the wall, and then there's like glass, like there's a whole chunk of glass around it. You get, And then there's rope around the glass. You ain't getting anywhere near it. And you can't even get near it because there's so many tourists around it. It's deep of <laughs> tourists, you know, everyone trying to get pictures of it. And, stuff. and they have security around it as well. Like, it's so heavily protected. I mean, maybe it wasn't as much in the 70s. It probably, I reckon that in the 70s, I reckon they had the glass still. But, like, this, like you know you're coming up to it. You, you know it's there before you even see it because the, you just see so many people around it. But, I mean, it's a good idea having the Mona Lisa in this. And just going back to the Doctor... It's the ideal piece. It's perfect, isn't it? It's so famous. It's famous beyond itself. The weird bit in this is where the man in the cafe is drawing Romana and he draws, like, a clock face. Yeah, that's weird. That was odd because the whole weird bit is, like... Because the scientist guy, Charlie, is doing the um, experiments and that's what the Doctor and Romana are, like, sensing, all those weird repetitive bits. And the guy, like... 
who just sits there with sketches and then just looks at you and then just like scrunches it up and throws it away like so well, aggressive it, i i thought that he was going to come back as being part of the party and he like knows something about them no that's why I, I was like because obviously I've, i was like does he know that there's something to do with i just found it a bit odd that it was a really nice idea in terms of like they're in france they've been sketched of course that's so french you know it's this French idea of the artist doing it. But it was just so odd because none of it ever, we never see that character again. And where's that come from? Because even if there was a weird thing in time, why is he sketching Romana with like a clock face? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's the only bit I think that's just like, I like the mystery of it, but there's no, it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't get explained. It, it, all it was, all the whole point of that was to show they're in France and people being sketched. I thought, actually, but because you're not really clear where they are in France until that point, until, you know, later on, I thought that it was going to be some sort of sketch and it was going to be Romana, but um, it was going to be a really famous French painting. That would have been cool. Oh my god, if she was the Mona Lisa or something, imagine. Yeah, yeah. So like all, you know, some sort of like really impressionist painting. And then we see that actually he used that sketch as Romana. Something like I thought it was going to be something like that. I think the only point was they wanted to show that the clock had a crack in it and there was a fracture in time. I that was I it. think that was it. And that they were in France to do something different. What are you thinking of clothes watch of Romana's schoolgirl outfit? I mean, it's very French. Of the 70s. Because I mean, we're it, in the 70s, aren't we? Yeah, 79. It's quite famous because she's dressed as a schoolgirl and it's a bit like, <laughs> why Why are you doing that? I guess she's. it's supposed to have been like some sort of like French chic look. She does look like a schoolgirl. But actually, I thought they were just trying to make... Cause is she wearing a beret? No, it's like a straw hat. Yeah, I, I thought that... I, but actually, for me, it played more into this idea. I couldn't work out what time period they were in. Oh well, he said. Well, he says at the beginning, seventy nine. It's supposed to be contemporary. So it's supposed to be the pro- yeah. But then that's never always accurate with the Doctor. So I guess until we saw cars later, I was never. I wasn't one hundred percent sure of the whether it was supposed to have been some sort of different time period. So. And obviously, so they go and see the Mona Lisa, and there's a bit of weird. T- the tour lady's funny. I like her. Doing the thing, that's good. Um, and then there's this whole weird thing. So you've got Duggan and the Countess. Well, let's just talk about Duggan generally then, because he's quite a, a fav- fan favourite. But he's a bit yeah. silly. Well, he was a silly character, but I think it was needed in terms of the sort of light complement to the story. I mean, and also what was nice about him as a character is he was very clear and simple. I mean, yeah, he was. Yeah, you knew what you were getting with him, yeah. You knew what you were getting. He was a detective. He's just trying to solve this mission. And he's supposed to be some sort of, like, I don't know, rough cop sort of guy that, like, uses his fist to sort it out. That's it. Like, doesn't understand all this mumbo jumbo. Just, he's, that's it. He's on his job. uses his fist to get himself out of trouble. Like, when he was, like... I know what to do, and then use himself to batter through the wall. I pissed myself laughing. I was like, of course he is. I like, mean, it's silly, and he's hitting everyone all the time, and he hits the count, doesn't he? He's like, throws, he's like, smash. Yeah, that's like, all he does. <laughs> and but it's then... weird, because casting-wise, I wouldn't have even put him as, like, that sort of guy. We've had, like, B 
big guys. It was a really odd casting. It worked, but I, like for that sort of character that just hits the people. But then it pays off in the end because right at the end when they're in prehistoric times and he knocks out Scarroth, that's the whole story sorted because he hits someone. He just proper like goes for it. I love that. Yeah, he's funny. Uh, I think there's a little bit too much running around. I think he's following, you know, when he's following them at the beginning and everything. And the Countess. So we've got the Count and the Countess. A bit of a strange couple because... I don't know how long they've been together, but she she doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. She doesn't know that he's Spaghetti Man. I have so many questions about... If anything, I think it brought up more questions for me. I mean, how long have they been together? Which they don't say. Is she only with him for his money? Do they have separate bedrooms? Is Is his bodysuit everything? Does he have bits? Has she seen his bits? Well, like, I, I have I so mean, many questions. We know when she's finding out, when she at the end, when she finds out about him and she f- goes to look through the Egyptian thing. Yeah, yeah. In that hieroglyphics, it's just a man and he's got the rest of the body because he's got, like, nipples That's and the Egyptian true. man. That's so. true, actually. That <laughs> so, is true. That answers so that. That answers she, yeah, that but, question mark. So she had. <laughs> I don't know why she, so she has seen the rest Mark, of him. Mark, answering this for me. I'll ask more questions about about him, his sexuality, and his body parts. <laughs> well, what if he? Okay, what if he has got the rest of his body and he just keeps the mask on then? Because it's obviously a, a good mask because he's wearing it all the time. Apart yeah, from- apart from Charlie the Barman, of course. Charlie the Barman spotted the mask. He said something about his face, didn't he? Of course, Charlie the Barman spotted that. Even with the terrible accent, he spotted that. Um, but yeah, maybe so. Is he a bit of... So obviously she's there because he's a collector. Also, right, here's something I don't understand. If he is the same thing throughout history, why has he chosen the exact same face, a mask? Because uh, I think it, there's 14, I think he says, but it's the same person, but he's splintered off into time. So he right. is the same person. They're connected, but, you know? So he's, Why, got... the, but he's not the but he's the same person, right? Why didn't he choose different faces? You could because he exists in the same. I mean, I get it in terms of storytelling, but I was like, I think I'd have wanted a different face. Maybe it's just the same mask. Well, that's what I mean. That's a long time. I mean, four hundred million years is a long time to keep one mask. That'll be really smelly. Wouldn't she have smelt that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think I don't. I think she. He's just her sugar daddy. I mean, yeah, I think so too. Also, right, his <laughs> eyes. Right, he has one eye, but he has two eyes and a mask. So how do his eyes move? <laughs> like what mask? How is he making his eyes move? I'm moving my eyes now, and I can choose. I don't know. I'm fascinated by this. That technology alone. That alone is like pretty good. The mask stuff. I like the idea of them being in, being the same person splintered throughout time. Uh, going I think back to I'd have Egyptians. preferred if he could have covered his identity rather than a mask. I think that's what I think. Like if it was, you know how she had the wrist, the bracelet. If there was something that allowed him to cover his identity, and that's why it was the same. Because like a hologram mask, thing, sort of thing. Yeah. It was something that blended in with his surroundings. He had spaghetti face the whole time, but so he wore like a bracelet so people couldn't see he had spaghetti face. 
Yeah, so people could see that he was, or like his ring, because he had that ring on that did stuff. So maybe when he was wearing the ring, it allowed it. It was like a a cover rather than actual mask. Because I have so many questions about the actual mask. Like, wouldn't it feel different? I mean, I mean, I'm thinking of human mask. Obviously, this felt like skin, but like. How long is it? It had hair, Mark. I oh, know like, it had everything. It was, it was a perfect haircut. human. It was a perfect human face. So did he have haircuts? Because he had different hair throughout history, but the same face. Like I have so many thoughts about this. And you see all the different ones. You sort of see the Egyptian guy going back to the Egyptian. We only saw about four, and then when he said twelve, I was like, twelve, bloody hell! <laughs> Did you know though about Egyptians? Right, I was listening to a podcast <laughs> about Egyptians. This is—I, I mean, this might be common knowledge, but it's blown my mind. I didn't realize because you do like Egyptians at school and stuff, and you know it was a long time ago. I didn't, and we call them the ancient Egyptians. I didn't realize that they were so ancient. Like it's the span of the Egyptian period is massive. Like it's so massive that the ancient Egyptians had ancient egyptians so like this egyptian king at the time went to the pyramids to see what his ancient ancestors from three thousand years ago had built so it's like between like the egyptians and now it's like the same as what the egyptians and the egyptians had if you see what i I find a lot of things with the egyptians fascinating because they were so advanced and did you know that with all the discoveries of Egyptian stuff and everything, only about like 10, 20% of like Egyptian stuff has been discovered or found? Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize it was like 6,000 years. I mean, if you think like the last 200 years, like the advancements and stuff, they've well, had. Well, we only like, think of 2,000, don't we, now? Yeah, so 6,000 years was just the Egyptians. Just don't really think of it in that scale. I want to know what happened after the Egyptians that stopped the advancement for so long of technology. But then also, you know, when they find, like, you know, Tutankhamun and go into these, into the pyramids and the things, throughout history and stuff, because of that 6,000 years, a lot of those discoveries, there's only been one, I can't remember which um, Egyptian king it was, that had never been looted. Like, all of the others that we found in, like, modern times have have all been looted throughout thousands and thousands of years. So who knows what's been taken out of those things? We've never found it all because it happened in the Egyptian times they were looted back then. There was only, I, I, I can't remember who it was, maybe it's Ramesses or someone, that ha- they say hadn't been looted at all, it's been sealed up. All the others, we're only getting the leftovers. Yeah. Like, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all down to, what's his name? Scarab oh, doing all that. Is that? Oh, well, it's this one, it's the Jordan Harbinger show. He does deep dives into different, he talks to different people and he was talking to an Egyptian expert. He talked, there was, he did one about almonds, um, about, um, did you know, like almonds are really good for you, like a superfood. <laughs> We're totally going off topic here. but Almonds. I, almonds. I thought you said, I thought you said almonds. <laughs> almonds. And I was like, almonds, what's that? Like, I think, what is almonds? It takes one gallon of water to grow, like, one almond, like the equivalent of, like, in California where they uh, make them all. So right, it takes so much water. And because it takes so much water, they're siphoning it from loads of poor areas nearby. Yeah. And the rivers are going down and all the salmon are dying. 
As, that's one. That's there's, just one side effect. There's a lot of like environmental things around In, almond almonds milk. Are the, well, an almond milk is 97% water with a bit of nut flavouring. You can't milk almonds. There's no milk you can get from almonds. It's flavoured water. What was that Celebrity Big Brother thing? And she was like, I get up at five every morning to milk my almonds. What was that? <laughs> I don't Who was know. That? Oh, my God. I've got to look that up. And they were like, you know what? You can just buy it in a shop. She was like, no, it's much better when I milk them myself. She was like, I can milk my almonds. Who was that? I Someone tell me. Who but, milks? Um, I'm going to have to look that up. Anyway. But, yeah, she was so, like, I, I milk it myself. And I milk my almonds. I've got to find it. I'll send it to you. Anyway, back to um, City of Death. <laughs> anyway, so he's gone throughout history, changing the course of almonds and the Egyptians and the human history <laughs> and everything. It's all Scaroth's fault that he's been doing all this stuff. It's a great, yeah, it's a great idea. Well, but no. have you changed it or was he just part of it? That's Well, it's sort of like a time circle, isn't it? He, I, I thought he was... He was needing to get this technology. So by the 70s, throughout his whole history of his 14 lives or whatever, he's been sort of manipulating human history so the technology would exist to get this time thing so he can go back and stop himself. Yeah. So I didn't think because the other thing with um, Leonardo da Vinci, obviously, is his interest in technology. I love how da Vinci ties into it because we almost had da Vinci in the... Musk of Mandragora. Yeah, yeah. So I love how that goes back. He he perfectly fits but he together. Loved, he was so interested in like in technology and like I mean like they even hold up that copy of like his version of a helicopter and stuff. So was it that he was trying to find people and push forward technology, and it just so happened that because he was with Leonardo, I can't speak Leonardo da Vinci, who also painted the paintings that he made several and therefore could sell them in his future self. Yeah. But I don't think he was, like, changing history. I think he was just part of the... I think he, he was, was just at the parts of it. Only pushing the, the tech... Only finding the people to push the technology on, not, like, changing the course of history. Because I think if he was changing the course of history, the Doctor would have tried to change it, that it didn't happen. But then it sort of does happen because then he gets knocked out and he doesn't and he goes off splinters. So you could almost argue that him, if he has manipulated history, it would have happened anyway. I mean, we've had manipulated. I mean, what's his? Oh, name? but they did say that, didn't they? They said that because he didn't. Therefore, there weren't five versions of, and there was only the one left that said this is a fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it does go around. I mean, we've had that before. You know, scientists at breakfast were um, manipulating history, weren't they? Fendel. Yeah, yeah. Did all that supposedly? So. We haven't got a chance with all these aliens doing all this stuff, have we? <laughs> but then I love the whole, yeah, the idea of going back and getting these seven and that secret people would be buying this this art, but you have to have the real one to be stolen. You know what I'm going to say. Very, I, mean. I know what you're going to say. And very... Um, Missing episodes. There we some go. Some twatty Doctor Who fan, some bastard Doctor <laughs> Who fan is like... I've got the only copy of Power of the Daleks, but I bet there's like seven of them out there and someone's selling them around being like, I've got the only copy. It's exactly that. They want the Mona Lisa. They want missing episodes of Doctor Who. It's exactly that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's what I say to that, sure. It, that's what it is, though. There are people, and I bet there are people with stolen art out there. I love stolen art. 
and like I've said before. What you love stolen art? No, I mean like documentaries about it and stuff. You know, yeah, there's ones. a really good one on Netflix, isn't there? Yeah. About ones that are still missing. Yeah, there's lo- like loads, and there's some good. There's one about the Mona Lisa, I think, because didn't they do a a scan of it fairly recently? And there's like a draft underneath. There's like another. There was like the hidden face of her there's like a different version or something or there's supposed to be several different versions uh but it's perfect for a doctor who story and i love how he does this as a fake and it's what a great idea yeah oh yeah it was a great it was a oh sorry but going back to the countess and the count their relationship oh yeah we were on that because you think she's a baddie don't you for quite a while and she's in on it all but obviously she's not she she's just there for the art theft and I don't know how he's explained like the technology and stuff to her, but she just thinks, oh, he's really clever and everything. I think so- that's it. And and I think that becomes really... Uh, you see, actually, I didn't think she was a baddie I did, uh, because after the end of the first episode, because once he revealed his face, I was like, I think she just thinks that he's some clever person who has this technology to make them richer. I think that's all she thinks. And I, I didn't think that she... I thought she was only as bad as, like, she knows that they steal art. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think so. Because I wouldn't put her in, like, the villain category. Um, no. A bit like... She's not a good person. She knows what they're doing. I thought she was a bit like Lamia, remember? The one that was working for the Count Grendel and worked for Putin. Oh, yeah, yeah, said. she's like that. She's, she's like, like Lamia, that. isn't she? She doesn't really know. She is involved and she is sort of guilty of certain things, but she doesn't know. But I think she would do whatever for the Count, whether that be just because of the money or whatever or not. Like, they've got that original Shakespeare and stuff. She obviously loves all that kind of thing. And I think that's it. It's having those... It's just being of the means of having those possessions and treasures that they own the own. In the same way that some people like that they're the only people that own certain things. Well, it's sad that when she gets killed, though, yeah, you do feel sorry for her then. Like, it's a shame yeah. she gets killed. And, and Duggan knocks her out with a vase as well before then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she you, you don't see that, though. You hear it off, off shot, don't you? And then she's just lying there. <laughs> yeah, I like how the whole story does take time to get through because you don't really know until like episode three the actual full plan of it and everything that's going on. You do feel sorry for Charlie, the scientist, because he's just yeah. working. He doesn't know. And I love the whole chicken and egg thing. And that was in. yeah. There was a lot of that. Were you trying to work out? Well, why do they want this? What is he trying to do? And it was interesting how they, he thought he was trying to cure world hunger. Mm. I thought that was an interesting take. It's harsh that the he gets put in the thing and aged down, and that's him gone. I mean, that's a cliffhanger as well. He gets his own cliffhanger, like he did know. last time. Yes, yeah, he does, doesn't he? The best cliffhanger in this, so I think, is episode two, where the Doctor first goes back in time and then the Count comes out. That's a great moment because you're not necessarily expecting that that he's. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think this actually has good cliffhangers throughout because the first one's Spaghetti Face, the second one is that, which is a great one, and then the third one is Charlie. Charlie. In um, yeah. um in uh, medieval times or whenever, uh, I thought of you because the doctor gets a nice vintage camera out and takes a Polaroid of that guy. <laughs> he does, yeah. He takes the Polaroid. <laughs> but he leaves it on the table. That's out of ties. Changed history. What if someone finds I know. that? Also, when has he ever had a camera on him? I know. He just randomly gets it out of his pocket. <laughs> oh, just by chance, 
so weird. I mean, I guess he was in Paris sightseeing. Oh, maybe. Maybe he but It would have been best if we'd have seen him using the camera prior to that. It would have made a little bit more sense because we've never seen him with a camera before. No. And then meanwhile, when the Doctor's off, Romana does get her own bit where she has to... Well, she's been forced to work for the Count to do the time thing. But she seems very eager. She was just like, yeah, okay, I'll help you. There's no resistance there. There's no... Which is sort of a bit like but Romana 1. do you think that sort of plays into like, her lack of understanding of the universe? Because she does question it to begin with, and she takes what he says at value. This Romana is much more chilled than the other one. and But not in like a, I don't know the universe, just like, I'm having a great time. I didn't think fun. she was actually. I thought when she was questioning, when she was she was a she was quite assertive. She's more of a just happy to go along and take the doctor's lead on a lot yes. of jokey stuff. She's always sort of standing there next to him, like. She but I wonder if that's him. because the first time around, the mission did come more from their directive, as in their mission was very clear, and they had a mission which was the keys of time whereas this one it's back in the doctor's hands and therefore there isn't the mission the same and she doesn't know what's going on whereas like you know okay she doesn't know where they land and stuff but actually she did a lot of the first time she did know okay well it's here i'm giving you this information because that's my role that's what i've been assigned by the white guardian to do is to assist and therefore that is my role in this but this time around, because she's chosen to stick around and stay and then change. But if she had, I don't think she'd have been like, she can't give information on things she doesn't know. She has yeah. heard of the Jaggeroth, though. She's like, oh, if I knew it was Jaggeroth, I wouldn't have helped. Yeah, yeah. So she does know a little bit. Um, so that's what you... I, I put it down to her, and it was the same with everyone. I just put it down more to her naivety of the universe and life. Have you sort of accepted this new Romana now? Are you... A little bit. This was a better story for her than the last one. There was a little bit more to it. There is a youthfulness to her, though. I don't put them in the same category. I don't think of them as the same person at all. And that's interesting because I always think as the Doctor is the same. There's some slight things, but, it, you know, there's so many things that are different in terms of what her role is now, what her position is, who's di- who the who's directing what she is. I'm not talking liches in the camera or whatever. I'm talking about like as a character, where's her direction coming from? I mean, previously all she knew was Gallifrey and studying that, and there's still that sort of innocence and that you do get with companions, as in. That's but the she's whole point. Still quite clever, so she can go off and say these things, and she still and do stuff. that work. And but then you need your Duggan to come in and be the what the Earth companion would have been something. in a way. Yeah, I wondered whether I think if he hadn't been as punchy, I wondered whether he was coming with them. Yeah, people would yeah. love that. Yeah, people have asked for that. I thing. thought he was just a little bit too one-dimensional. He was a bit sort of. I feel like he came out of like a comic strip or something. I don't know how that. Do you know, I like a sort of a. I feel like he worked perfectly for the need of what the story was, but if you'd have put him in any other scenario, the, all his character was was confrontation and I punch things. 
It didn't like have any other debt. For, they hadn't allowed for any other debt for development. There were points when he could have been more ask like even when they were on a visa plans other than like oh well you know what oh i don't know there's a lot of that very i don't know thing whereas they could have had more of an arc of him learning and like trying to sort of understand what was and still be that same character but sort of like i don't understand this but try and explain what is happening to me because i'm trying to you know something and i think that would have helped because he could have come on and that would have, it was never allowed. It was just, what are we wasting our time here for? Come on. I need to punch something. Boom. I punched it. It was just so one dimensional. It had no place for it to change or be anything else. No. I mean, you can't imagine him on an alien planet with the Daleks or whatever. Yeah. And it does get all, I mean, we've said how it gets wrapped up going back to prehistoric times. It's a great sort of loop of everything going back to the beginning. It's a great, structure of a story i think i think that's why yeah. people like it because of the humor a lot people like the doctor in this he's proper top the of doctor's his game great in this. he's on good form so you enjoyed it i did yeah yeah i give it an eight out of ten i mean it's not like top for me it's okay i don't i don't see how people think it's like the best tom baker story or the best yeah the best that surprises day. me because i wouldn't have said it was the best tom baker story i think it's just different and fun and it was fun. I think some of the bonds for the keys of time were better. Oh, it is a step up from last week for sure. There we go. Um, get your theories in about the count and what the rest of him looks like and <laughs> all of that. Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. I knew it. When he's there in his suit and his alien thing, <laughs> it's such a great image. But like, what? And he wears that dressing gown, doesn't he? Um, so many questions. Like, <laughs> Well, there we go. Well, the next story is four episodes, and it's called The Creature from the Pit. Oh, okay. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2WatchWho, and you can support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash 2WatchWho. And we will see you next week for The Creature from the Pit. Yeah, yeah. sounds pity. <laughs> Bye. Watch who? Shall we take the lift or fly?